Welcome to the Salty and Bright podcast, a show about how we can better live as God's salt and light today. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Graham Wall to the podcast. Graham grew up in country Victoria in the five-kid Christian household of John and Judy Wall. Soon after finishing his degree at the Macquarie School of Biblical Studies, Graham met and married his Texas-born wife, Christina. They've now been married for 13 years and together have three young children, Mackenzie, Alexis and Ethan. For over 10 years now, Graham has worked full-time as a travelling preacher, teacher and evangelist, encouraging and ministering to congregations around Australia. Graham and Christina recently moved to the city of Albury between New South Wales and Victoria and currently worship with the Border Church congregation. So given that I'm sure you have a lot of things to say about this topic, Graham, maybe we'll kick off with your story. So could you tell us a bit about how you came to know Christ and his church? I guess it was easy for me in one sense to come to faith because I grew up in a Christian uh, household. Uh, my parents, well, they weren't Christian initially, but um, my dad came across a group that he connected with and he said the thing that really stood out for him was that they really emphasised that you can know the scripture and that really led him into coming to know Jesus and then later on he persuaded mum to become a Christian. I grew up in a small town, in a small church, and being in a small church, um, we were, as young kids, really involved. They really catered a lot of things with young people, teaching us memory verses and who am I's and quizzes and things like that. Uh, about the age of nine, I really wanted to give my life to Christ and uh, end up being baptised. But from about the age of 11, I began to read the Bible. I think that shaped me a lot. It, it really steered me in a good direction. But then I would say when I was about 19, I'm just leaving home. I'm starting to wonder about you know where I stand in, in life and what I really believe about the Bible. And I remember sitting in a car and just thinking about, well, what's the point of life if God's not in it? You know, What's the point of getting married? What's the point of having, uh, having a job? making money or being successful, if this is all there is. Life becomes infinitely more meaningful because God's there and I'm serving him and it flows into eternity. At a point in my life where I was really questioning, not feeling good about myself, it really gave me hope and it really inspired me to keep going. And not long after that, I moved to Melbourne and got involved in the Heidelberg Church. And, and my brother-in-law, Jared, was working for the church at the time and he was really trying to reach out to people. So we started doing a lot together as well. But I'd say there's been various points in my life through different difficulties where I've been forced to reflect on my Christianity and where I'm at. And that's, you know, I keep making this choice to come back to Christ. And then as I've become a teacher and been teaching through the Bible, seeing how Jesus is central to the whole story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that became to, I guess, really inspire me to put Christ first and to his kingdom and to really make him a central part of my life and not just to go to church on a Sunday, but to live out following Christ every day of my life. And so I look at someone like Paul, by the time he writes Philippians, he says, I count everything as lost for the, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything was a loss uh, in comparison to how valuable Jesus Christ is. And so Christ became, I guess, his, his treasure hidden in a field that he was willing to sell everything to get. And uh, the more I realized that, the more I realized how valuable Jesus really is to me. 
And so I guess there's been a gradual deepening of my knowledge and relationship with Jesus over the years to the point now he's, he's crucial to everything I do. The next question I had for you, Graham, is what do you actually understand evangelism to mean? Because I think for a lot of Christians, it can be a bit of an intimidating word. So could you just kind of walk us through it? Well, there's probably various levels of what evangelism means and how it happens. Uh, but at its most basic level, uh, I believe evangelism is sharing the good news about the salvation that is now available to all people. And that's part of the gospel story is all people can have the salvation through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And so, yeah, it's basically sharing the good news. And that can be done directly, like you can go out on the street and door knock. But I think it also can be uh, progressive. It can be relational. You know, I'm, I'm nudging people all the time towards Jesus, even if it's one little step. Sometimes God uses many, many people to nudge someone closer to Jesus over many years. Some of the people that I've been privileged to baptize, I didn't sow the gospel in them. Someone many years early and several people along the way, I just happened to meet them at the right season where they were ready to accept Jesus. And then there's people I've nudged or I've even shared the gospel with, but they've never, to my knowledge, never become a Christian, but I'm trusting that God will continue to nudge them through other people along the way. So I should take that pressure off myself to, to think that I have to be the one who leads them to Christ and baptizes them and, and matures them. That's not my role. There's only one rabbi and that's Jesus. And it's his job to do all that. He might use me as I align myself with his will. Um, but I trust that he's ultimately the disciple who's going to disciple people into him. In fact, I, I see evangelism more as a, a byproduct of understanding your, who you are in Christ, your spiritual identity. And I think if you read the whole book of Ephesians, it's largely about spiritual identity. What we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings, the hope of eternal life, all these good things as they fill us, as we let them fill us, that should flow out into us wanting to naturally tell other people about it. If people are being forced to evangelize, I just don't see how that can lead to you know joyful sharing the good news. It, it really is it has to come from a place of, of joy here you know, that you just naturally want to tell people because you're so excited by it. And so I guess I see evangelism as a sign of maturity and a byproduct of that maturity and joy in our life. I think there's also the idea of uh, evangelism from a church level, and that is as the church, as God's people, as his body, we are the living presence of Christ in the world. And that body is made up of all kinds of people doing their part. And it may not be direct out there in the world sharing the gospel, but it might be some service within the church that allows the body to function so that it can be this living, healthy presence of Christ in the world, offering hope uh, through a, a team and a group of people. I think that's another level we can go to. Often we think of evangelism just as a, an individual thing, but really I think largely it's, it's God's people living out a Christ-like image in the world. So just going on from that, Graham, how do you think we do as Christians, you know, whether that's Christians in Melbourne, Australia, or just more generally, do you think we're living up to that calling? It's hard to measure that completely because we're living in a society where it's very secular and people are not as interested in Christianity. And, you know, there are people who are deeply spiritual in the past, like Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Noah, who probably weren't that successful if you look at their, what they did as evangelism, but that didn't stop them from doing it and that didn't mean they weren't effective. So I guess we have to factor that into it. Having said that, I always think that we could probably do a bit better. 
at least my observation, and, and I'm happy to be corrected on it, is a lot of churches and a lot of Christians get stuck into what I call maintenance mode. As long as they're going to church and ticking that box, they're kind of reasonably happy. You know, and it is a good thing to do. I mean, going to church and gathering with God's people. But sometimes we're satisfied with that, that we've done our duty to God. I'm not designed by God as an individual to be looking internally. I'm designed by God to love. Now, that doesn't mean I, I neglect myself, but at the same time, it, it means I'm also looking out what well, Paul says in Philippians. You know, you're not just looking out for your own interest. You're looking out for the interest of others. He's made us to be loving people, people who generate love, and that's, that's outward-focused. As a human being, I'm never more uh, healthier than when I'm loving and caring for other people as I care for myself. Why would the church be any different? The church is a living organism, and if all we do is look internally, we're going to find reasons to splinter and fracture and fight because we're not designed by God simply to look internally. So it all comes back to love at the end of the day. There's not, there's not a really a lot of commands to evangelize in the New Testament, but boy, there's a lot of commands to love as individuals and as groups of people in local areas. Uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians, you are to, to love you know, the saints and all people. A question that I think is just really helpful is how best can we as, a, as God's people in this location best serve God's overall kingdom? In other words, not how do we best help this church stay focused and continue to meet and, and grow just here. That's a missional question. That's a global question. You know, with Christ breaking out all over the world, we're part of something that's not just local. It's actually a broad uh, movement all around the world and it's growing and expanding all the time. So, Graham, I wanted to kind of change direction a bit to focus on the more practical aspects of evangelism, because I know for me, that's where I trip up most of the time. And so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how you actually approach evangelism just on an everyday kind of level. Sure. Um, before I get there, I think it's definitely worth just talking a bit about uh, the early church. You know, we think in Acts as the Acts of the Apostles, but as others have rightly pointed out, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles and then the early church. But really, it's the Holy Spirit pushing the church out and guiding people and uh, moving them to evangelize in all parts of the world, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and further out. And uh, it's interesting that you look at a lot of the activity of the Holy Spirit, particularly in miraculous manifestations, it's usually of a different people group. You know, it starts off with the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. You know, the Romans in Acts 10, and then later on, you've got some people from ancient Asia. And I think one of the reasons that it's always a different people group is because the early church through the Holy Spirit is learning that the gospel really is for everyone. The other thing we see is we don't see the Holy Spirit coming on people and directly illuming them with all the knowledge that they need. What he does is he brings people who are seekers or with the right heart into contact with a faithful, mature Christian who can share the gospel with them. And so even in Acts 10, with uh, the household of Cornelius, they had to hear words by which they could be saved. Holy Spirit's still involved in all this. <laughs> and if I'm not aligned or in tune with the Holy Spirit by meditating on God's word, by praying in line with the mission of the Spirit or having the character of the Spirit, uh, he, he can't use me for evangelism. But the more aligned I am with him and the more in tune I am with him, the more then he will use me or you to meet others who have a desire to know more. And so I want to mention that the whole, before I get down to what we can do, I want to say the Holy Spirit's still involved in all this. Uh, maybe he's operating differently in some ways. 
but he's still involved in the mission of sharing the gospel throughout the world. If we don't recognize that uh, we're going it alone, I think that's a bit dangerous uh, in my view. Probably when it comes to practicality, I think it'd be helpful to tell a little bit of my story, I guess, because I am an introvert. I don't, I have done door knocking. I've done street evangelism and we've met people who've had good experiences with that, but I've always found it awkward. When I grew up, I grew up in a small country town. If people went to church, I didn't know it. It was quite a secular place. And I spent most of my primary school years and high school years just not talking about Christianity. I was embarrassed by it. Although, funny enough, people sort of knew in some sense because I still tried to live a Christian lifestyle. And then when I was about 19, I moved down to Melbourne and I got working. And I particularly started working this, this company where we serviced uh, handheld F-Post machines and I was a technician there. It was a fun environment. It was multicultural. And, you know, again, I grew up in a country town where at the time there wasn't many people from different countries. And, uh, and so when I came and started working this particular company and seeing so many people from different nationalities and cultures, it was exciting. It was interesting. I got to work with people from India and Sri Lanka and Asia and, and some of the islands. And I, I'd learn about people's culture, learn about their languages, learn some of their languages. I'd, I'd go up to the lunchroom. Here I am, this Aussie guy eating the sandwich. And a lot of them were cooking their nice exotic rice dishes and the smell of it. And I'm looking at my sandwich thinking, this is just not the same. <laughs> what I found is the more interested I became in people, the more interested they became in me. And even if they were Hindu or Buddhist or something like that, they would ask questions because I'm showing interest in them. And, and that's, again, a biblical thing. You know, you think about Jesus seeing uh, Zacchaeus. You know, he's, Jesus is surrounded by this crowd of people in Jericho. He's walking along. And Luke 19 says, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus. You know, he looked at him, he gave him attention and he went to his home and ate with him. And Jesus is known as this person who ate with the tax collectors and sinners. So that was my initial thing. I, I didn't know how to fully share the gospel or do it in a, in a good way at that time. That came later. And later on, I, I really started to look, well, how do I actually share the gospel? What is the gospel? How do I share it? And I've got, started gathering material to see how to do it. And finally, I found some material that I was comfortable with. And I actually ended up redesigning myself. When I did that, that was actually really empowering. Because not only were I just sowing spiritual seeds, if someone shows an interest, I began to say, look, I've got a simple study here. Do you mind if I just go through it with you? And over the years, I've developed, a, I've come across some and I've developed some that are, you know, within, I can share within three to five minutes. That's the elevator speech. And you need that. Uh, I had a lady came to uh, the church, one of the church I was working for, and I just met her in the foyer and she was about to leave. And she goes, well, what do you guys believe? I said, well, let me share you this. Let me share with you this simple way of understanding the, go- the gospel in three or four, four minutes. And she's like, I like that and walked off. I never saw her again. But did I sow the gospel message in her? Yes, I did. I guess one thing I'm disappointed with in the church is that many members don't know how to share the gospel message. Many members don't have a way of sharing in a simple three to four minute or five minute elevator speech. Many people don't have an extended version, but they can sit down with people. They just don't know how to share the gospel. And it's disempowering. When I learn how to share the gospel, all of a sudden my confidence, my boldness grew. I, you know, If someone came along, to, a visitor came along to a church, the first thing I thought, I'm going to engage them in conversation and welcome them. If they show interest and I feel it's safe to do so, I might meet up with them for a coffee. And I'd say, look, I've got a simple gospel story here uh, or presentation. Can I, can I show it? And every time I do that, I feel satisfied that, you know, I've at least shared the gospel with them. We can, look, we can learn, you know, apologetics. We can learn how to articulate evidences for God. But in the, at the end of the day, we still need to share the gospel. That's the power to save. And that's what changes people. Well, Graham, since we've talked about the kind of 
biblical basis for evangelism and some of the practical ways you approach it, I wanted to ask you if you'd have any more advice, especially for younger Christians who are really wanting to evangelize more or with greater courage, especially in a world that's, you know, increasingly secular and politically correct and all that kind of thing. So would you have any more advice about that? One thing that's really helpful is just to know your story. Uh, why are you a Christian? I have an acronym that I sometimes use to help people work that out. It's called, um, I've broken the word story down. And the first one is, yeah, the S stands for situation without Christ. Or if you've grown up in the church, what are the struggles you've faced in life? So the S stands for situational struggles. And then T stands for truth. What was the truth from the Bible that, that made a difference? How did that help you uh, overcome that struggle or come to Jesus? What was the outcome of accepting that biblical truth? How did that make a difference? You know, so the O stands for outcome. R stands for reaction. Uh, it's good to consider the positive and negative reactions you've had to becoming a Christian. That's part of your story, isn't it? And, and the Y stands for your new perspective. Now, that's not going to save people. The gospel story and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles is going to save them, but at least get some thinking and it bypasses all the lovely arguments because no one can argue with your version of the story. <laughs> I think that that's important just to nudge people uh, in closer to the gospel where they can then hear that and be saved. But I think meditating on God's word, we, you know, I, I started reading my Bible every day, uh, except on you know, rare occasions from the age of 11. And that was helpful. But then I started to realize that there's a different level of reading and that's meditating on God's word. Psalm 1, you know, blessed is he who meditates on the law day and night. He's like a tree firmly planted that bears its fruit in season. Even Joshua 1.8, he was to meditate on the law day and night so he could be successful. There's something about just sitting with God's word, even just a few verses, and just it does something to my heart. It internalizes it and strengthens me and allows me to really understand what, what it is that God wants. And uh, I do read the Bible for knowledge, but that's not the only thing. I read the Bible to stay sensitive to God. If I don't read it and meditate on it, very quickly I start allowing secular and worldly things to come into my life. And it, when I've been meditating on Scripture, it's amazing to me how many times I'm trying to encourage someone. And I've been meditating on that verse, and boom, I've got something to say to them. So if you're not meditating on God's word and putting into you, you're not going to have much to share. Begin to pray missionally. Paul relied on prayer. Uh, Jesus taught about praying about the kingdom. That's something you can do in the privacy of your own home, in, in the car or as you walk in your mind. I'll be in the checkout lane at the supermarket and I'm just saying, God, please let that person at some point in their life hear the gospel message. No, I may never see that person come to Christ, but I can have confidence that at some point in her life, God will allow her to hear the gospel message or she'll be nudged towards Christ in some way. I think it's good to tie it to something you're already doing. If you're driving to work, that's the time to pray about it. Or if you read your Bible in the morning, pray about that. But add that into there because you begin to want what you pray for. And so if, if I'm praying for the lost, then my desire and care for the lost grows. Later on, I realized that fits quite well with the Lord's Prayer. Because in Matthew 6, you know, uh, he says, Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I realized that, well, where does praying about our daily bread come in this order? It comes after praying about the kingdom. Take a deep interest in others. Who can't do that? You know, I often use um, another acronym called FORTS. You know, I don't want to be too prying and all that, but I, I try to learn about their family, about their occupation, about their recreational travel or, or or what are their spiritual interests? It could be Buddhism or Hinduism, whatever it is. Just being interest, interested in them as another human being 
And you'll be surprised that they all start being interested in you. In fact, they'll start inviting you to your home sometimes, which to me was when that, when that started happening to me, I was like, this is far better than door knocking. Uh, do good to others. You know, as you spend time with them, you'll see this. I said before, the opportunities to do good. I remember uh, years ago, I was just at a spare job to earn a bit of extra money as a delivery driver. And I met this couple and, you know, taking interest in them, finding out about them, uh, you know, finding they had a faith. Anyway, the, the husband of this couple ended up in hospital. And because I'd been asking and taking interest, I thought I'll just go and visit him in hospital. And so I did. I rocked up and they were delighted. But it turned out he had uh, terminal cancer. And I ministered to him till he died. But because I was there, I got to know the family and they asked me to talk about his faith and a bit of the gospel story at a funeral amongst people I've never met in my life. And that was one little tiny good deed led to this opportunity to talk about God to this whole audience. Definitely learn how to share the gospel. Get a three to four minute version of it. There's one out there called the three circles. I've taken that and modified. I think that works really well. And uh, it starts talking about you know, we live in an environment that there's there's a lot of good things here. Beautiful sunsets and sunrises. There's beautiful people who do lots of good, but there's also disharmony and brokenness. There's people, you know, we've we got the pandemic that's here. That people have died from that. There's hurt, there's pain. And a lot of people try to escape that brokenness by focusing on success and money and family and it's all because they're trying to escape that brokenness. But you'll always get like a bungee cord zapped back into the brokenness. Well, is that the way it's always been? Well, if you go to Genesis, well, no. When God created the world, it was perfect. Everyone was in harmony with each other. Everyone was in harmony with God. It was good. It was perfect. And I'm like, well, how did we go from this perfect, harmonious environment to this world where there's brokenness and hurt? Well, we learned from the Bible that's because people turned away from God. They went their own way and they brought the brokenness into the world. Well, if God had a you know, if he, if he was really mean and nasty, as a lot of people accuse him of being, then why didn't he just destroy us and send us straight to hell from the get-go? He's a God of justice and holiness. And he can't change that. And he's, he's also a God of love, and he can't change that. So what does a God who is just uh, do with sin? Well, he says that there's got to be a consequence. But at the same time, what does a, a God who's loving do? Well, he sends the most precious thing he had, his son, into the world to live a sinless human life, so that he could die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world and to take on all the brokenness in that death. He was buried and three days later he rose again. And by doing that, he's given us a hope, a hope of a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness and harmony dwells again. But in order to benefit from that, I have to turn away from my own way and towards Christ. I need to believe in the cross and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I need to be spiritually joined to him through the waters of baptism where I get united to his death and his burial and resurrection. And at that point, I, I come out of the waters, a new being cleansed of my sin. I get the Holy Spirit uh, in, internally indwelling me. And now I'm expected to grow in that salvation. So that's one simple way of sharing the gospel. And often I'll just draw it out. And then I have an extended one if they're interested that we go maybe two or three days or two or three sessions. If you don't know that, you miss all these opportunities to share the gospel. And when I started getting these little studies in my mind, uh, it emboldens you. It empowers you to make the most of opportunities when they come up. And you say, look, you don't have to believe this, but can I just tell you the story of the Bible in a very simple way? Bang. And you've sown the seed and that will stick with them. So meditate on God's word, pray missionally, take an interest in others, 
know your story, do good, and learn to share the gospel. And you'll be amazed at how many opportunities come up. So, Graham, that's probably the last question I wanted to ask you specifically on the topic of evangelism. And I realize we've been talking for a while now, but I was wondering if I could ask you just five more questions in a kind of rapid round. So the first rapid question I have for you, Graham, is what is your favorite Bible verse and why? I really love Ephesians 3 verse 15 where Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the rich, glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. So he says there, hope, riches, and power. And if you can understand that as a Christian, you live an empowered life. The next question I have for you, Graham, is who is your Bible hero and why? David always stands out for me. I mean, I just loved him as a kid, as this, this giant slayer. Uh, but as I've got to know him as, as an older person, he's, uh, and he made terrible mistakes, but he kept coming back to God. I think seeing someone like David and even someone like Paul, it's really encouraging for me to say, stick with God. Third rapid question is, when or where do you feel closest to God? One of the habits that I love to do, I don't always have it with a young family, but I call it a coffee date with God. All I'm doing is meditating on God's word and I'm asking good questions. I'm reading it over and over again and I'm just soaking it. And sometimes I'll read the same thing for several days and I'm not there preparing a sermon. I've got my prayer journal where I write down some prayers or some things I want to thank God for. And it just draws me nearer to God, fills my heart. And I start that I can minister from a place of fullness rather than emptiness. And the fourth question, Graham, is what is an ordinary moment that fills you with gratitude? I think it's just the everyday. I, I really am a family orientated person. I just love just hanging out with them. And it's just, you know, they're ordinary moments in the day, but I'm so thankful for my family. So the last rapid question is, what is one lesson that you think God is still trying to teach you? I think to continue to grow in holiness. You know, we're, we're surrounded by society and, you know, you watch all these streaming services. There's a lot of impurity out there. It can enter our hearts. And you know what? It's, it's sometimes really difficult. <laughs> you know, you get tempted by all sorts of things, but to come back and keep coming back to God and meditating on God's word and trying to live it out I become a vessel that God can use if I give myself over to holiness. And I think that's the start of a whole other conversation, but I will leave it there for now because I've, I think I've exhausted all of my questions. So I'll just end by saying thank you so much for making time to chat, Graham, and for sharing your knowledge with us, as well as all of those really practical bits of advice. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Faith, and just for showing interest in this topic. I just think it's, it is an important topic. It's deep in the heart of God. And to have you as a younger person asking questions about this area, I think it's, it's exciting for me. And uh, you know, I want more and more people to uh, learn more about how to share their faith with people. Well, I think it's safe to say that Graham had plenty of handy tips and acronyms to make us all better sharers of the gospel. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to tune into the podcast. And feel free to send any feedback to saltyandbrightpod at gmail.com. But until next time, stay salty and bright.